0: Wow, isn't that great? Talk about a breath of fresh air. That was very refreshing. Um, We're going to be reading in Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and we'll start in verse 13. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. That's the the version I like. You might be reading from the New King James. It's not significantly different. I had a first this last week in my life for the first time I even heard of it I got invited to a baby shower and and I thought that's cool that's cool never happened before I'm thinking well why do guys not get invited it's a girl thing right but times are changing and um because I always ask myself this question when there's a baby shower or you know a bridal shower, how come they don't give tools, you know? So. It's always linens and things like that, so we have an opportunity to change things, don't we? So I'm going. So if you got an invite, I hope to see you there. And uh, what's so special about a baby shower? You know, that reminds me of the baptism. There's something special about life, new life, isn't there? Whether it's a newborn baby, uh, I don't think there's a person alive that doesn't look like a a newborn baby and is in awe at new life and how God created um, life and breathed life. Um, And what we saw here this morning was the same thing in a spiritual sense, spiritual life. And there's something exciting about that. I can remember when my firstborn, I was there, I got to cut the umbilical cord, Corey's, and um, looking at that child, I'm thinking... You know, God gives talents to people. You don't know what they are when they're born, do you? Well, when a person gets spiritual life, they're getting spiritual gifts. And so with my daughter, it's, you know, you you try to experiment with different things with your child to find out, well, what are they going to like? What are they going to take to? And I can remember I wanted to learn to play the piano, so I got a keyboard, and I could mechanically play the notes, and then she wanted to try it. I didn't want to let her. Boy, was that a mistake, because she was, I remember when that movie came out, um, Beauty and the Beast, she watched that movie, and 20 minutes later, she was playing it on the keyboard with nobody teaching her. I think, wow, that's something that God gave her. (laughs) That's a talent that God gave her. And once you discover that, you want to feed it, right? Why? Because it glorifies God. Well, these individuals have spiritual gifts, so it's going to be exciting to see what spiritual gifts they have and how they use them to glorify God. And you know, my daughter, she likes playing the piano. And so for these individuals exercising their spiritual gift, that's going to be fun for them. They're going to enjoy that. So it's exciting when we think about new life, whether it's baptism, which is much more important, or, you know, a, a new baby that the Lord brings into the world. So reading from Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, the Lord had been crucified and he died. And uh, there's two disciples that waited around for three days. Now, these disciples were among the, the 12 or the eleven, and so they were in the inner circle. They knew what was going on, and we'll take the story from there. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're walking seven miles. Okay, so I I don't know the last time you've walked seven miles, but it takes probably a good couple hours. Um, And they were conversing with each other all about these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing... Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which has happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of, the, of, some of those who were with us also went to the tomb and found it just as the woman also had said, but they, but him they did not see. And he said to them, "O foolish men and slow of heart to believe, in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So that's, a, that's quite a story, the Lord appearing to these two disciples, and He masked His identity. Um, that's very interesting. He masked His identity. First of all, we see, what were they talking about? They were talking about Him. They were talking about Jesus. How many people do you know that will openly and freely talk about God or talk about Jesus? In the workplace, at school, among your neighborhood or in your neighborhood, among your friends, and uh, even family members. Is there an embarrassment to talk about the things of God? Is there an embarrassment to talk about Jesus? Maybe not in your household, maybe not in, in, in your close circle of friends, but I recognize it all over the place. Conversing about Jesus. Is that a worthwhile thing to do, talk about Jesus? Yeah, it is. We saw how worthwhile it is. This morning, we have two individuals that are sure if they were to die today, they'd go to heaven. Is that worthwhile? That's very worthwhile. You're never going to find out about God and His plan if you're not willing to talk about Him and about His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they were talking about. That was the topic of their discussion. Now, they had certain understanding from the Old Testament, didn't they? They did. Jesus brought it out. Slow to believe all that the prophets have said. So they knew about the Word of God. They heard stories about the Word of God. And we have people walking around today, they've heard a lot about the Word of God. They've heard a lot about heaven, a lot about hell, a lot about the Easter story, the resurrection, a lot about the crucifixion, a lot about creation, a lot about Adam and Eve, about the Noah's Ark, a lot about the Word of God. But the problem is it hasn't always been put together (laughs) to give an understanding of who Jesus is. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And you have to ask yourself, why was that? I mean, they walked seven miles with him. And then they walked seven miles back. Wouldn't it have been easier that if he just revealed himself to him right off, like within the first half mile? They would have saw who he was. They could come back real quick. No, but he didn't do that until the end of their journey. It was important for them to walk that distance and converse with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he had to show them some things. Show them some things from the Word of God, expounding the Scriptures to them about Himself. That takes time. That takes time. I was encouraged to know that both Daniel and uh, Jen had taken a course that we give right here, Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. It's about the the passage we're talking about today. And the nice thing about this series is that it takes you, snapshot, from the beginning of the Bible all the way through, really uh, teaching what the Bible says in snapshot form, so that you get a really comprehensive understanding of what the Word of God says. But what's required to get that understanding is that you take time. This course is 16 weeks. Sometimes we go over because there's so many interesting questions, and we we try to um, answer some of those questions. But it takes time. And the argument is put forth in the book how worthwhile it is in the so many thousands of days that you have here on earth, so many thousands of tens of thousands of hours that you take 16 weeks, a couple hours a week, to find out what God has to say. God's Word's important. God considers it important. And um, we see that in the passage here. He didn't just reveal Himself to these individuals. He appealed to their faith, their belief in the Word of God. And what He did is He took them back to explained throughout the uh, Scriptures about Himself and that's not the first time that he, he, he had that, uh, that thought. We read in other portions of the scriptures where, um, where God demonstrates that that's important to him. And really, that's, uh, it's, it's a truth that's, that's evident. In Luke 16, there's a story about a rich man and a poor man. A certain rich man, he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen... linen gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was, uh, was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. Long story short, they both died. Lazarus, he's in a place of comfort. Call that heaven. They called it Abraham's bosom. The rich man, he was in torment. Call that hell. And his one wish was that Lazarus could um, dip his finger in water and touch his tongue. That was the greatest hope he had there, to be refreshed by a drop of water. When they found out there was a great chasm, or he mentioned, Abraham mentioned there's a great chasm between the two, and one can't pass from one side to the other, you can't go from heaven to hell or from hell to heaven, His next wish was that somebody would go to talk to his brothers. He had five brothers, because he didn't want them to come to this place of torment. And Abraham said this. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. What's he saying? He's saying, they have the word of God. Moses and the prophets is another term for the word of God. They have the word of God. Let them listen to the word of God. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You see, what's going to convince someone is not a show, a visible miracle. It's the word of God. It's believing in the word of God. And Jesus points it out. That's what they have, the word of God. If they have any hopes of not coming to this place of torment, it's in the word of God. It's not somebody returning from the dead. We see that today, don't we? Because we do have someone that's returned from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he does here, he doesn't reveal himself, look, I've come back from the dead. He hides himself and talks of himself in the third person. And he takes those two individuals back to the Old Testament and he walks through the word of God teaching them how these things speak of him all the way through the Old Testament. And at the end, they're going, duh, they get it. This was according to God's plan. This didn't catch Him by surprise. And and it was the word of God that their faith was placed in. And so we see the value of sustained exposure to the word of God. You People come to church one time, two times, and they think, well, okay, that was cool, but I didn't get that much out of it. Try exposing yourself to the word of God over a long period of time with a real sincere interest of knowing what it means and meeting the one who spoke it, the Lord Jesus Christ. It will have an effect on you. It will either harden your heart or it will melt it. And most likely it will melt it. That's what we saw today, that result. And you that know Jen in a close personal way, you're going to be witnessing some changes that you're going to have to attribute to God. I remember when my life changed. The people that knew me then couldn't believe what I am now. The people that know me now couldn't believe what I was then. The question is, how important is is it to you? You know, when I look at this walk that these fellows went with the Lord Jesus, seven miles, it reminds me of this life. This life is like a long walk. And for some, we're close to the end of it. For some, we're at the beginning of it. But it's a walk. And it's a walk where the Lord is trying to get your attention. And he's trying to tell you about himself. With the hopes that you'll believe the word of God so that he might reveal himself to you. It says, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was explaining these things to us on the road? That's a good way of describing knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a burning of the heart. Not pain burning, but a passion What would it be like for you to meet the one that created you? You ever think about that? And, you know, to think about that, you've got to cast out of your mind all preconceived ideas of what you know about religion, what you know about church, what you know about some people that call themselves Christians. And you have to ask yourself, do I really understand what it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I really understand that it's a personal relationship? Just like I can meet someone, I can meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like I can communicate to someone, I can communicate to my creator, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like I can listen and have them communicate to me, that same thing could be said of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's on his terms. And he leaves out his terms in his word. So that those that do want eternal life, that those that do want to know him, they have the tool whereby they can. They have the information. These individuals, they had the information. But they were slow to believe. Slow of heart to believe. So Jesus walked them through it and reminded them of all the things. I think of Jen's story and even Daniel's. They've heard of these things since their youth, right? And you can thank their families for that. And behind them, you can thank God for that. But they hadn't put it together until they took a walk with Jesus. When they took a walk with Jesus, that's when they realized that they're talking about him, a person, And as they put their faith in that and understood that and believed that, that's when Jesus revealed himself to them. And that's when their hearts burned within them. Wow, eternal life. I have it. No one can take it away from me. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's exciting. That's exciting. I can remember uh, my old friends telling me, I don't want to become a Christian. Why not? Well, because you can't go out with the girls. You can't smoke. You can't drink. All these things you can't do. And I sort of blew him away because I said, I could do all those things, and I'm a Christian. What? No, you can't. Yeah, I can. What kind of Christianity is that? (laughs) I said, well, I could do it, but I don't. Because I don't want to do it, but I could if I wanted to. The difference is that God gave me a new heart, new desires. I don't have the desire to do those things. So what's better? You that has the desire to do these things that are destructive to you and to your soul and think you're happy doing it, Or me with a new heart that I don't want to do those things that are destructive to my soul. And I take pleasure in doing those things that are good for my soul. Which one's better? I'd rather have a changed heart. (laughs) You know? And so, new life, new heart, new creation. If you know Jen, you know Daniel, you'll see that change. And you'll see it progress. I can remember when I first came to know the Lord and I came home with a story similar to that one. Except for I wasn't born in a Christian home, didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, and my mom and my sister thought, ah, this is just a passing fad. It'll go away. That's just Eric. He jumps into things both feet. That was in 1981, so it's been a long, long, uh, long time. So it's a permanent change in life, change in life. So I want to ask you this morning, would you be willing to take a walk with the Lord? Would you be willing to take walk with the Lord. Why are you here on earth? This is one of my favorite passages. I guess I have a lot of favorite passages, but I want to focus on one portion of this this verse. It'll tell you why you're here. But there's an important point at the end. It says in Acts 17 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives life or gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one, that would be Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. What year, what day were you born? That was determined before you were born by God. What day will you die? Also determined by God. That's an appointment you will not miss. He's predetermined that. The boundaries of your habitations. You're here, obviously, in Fremont, so for the time being, this is the boundary of your habitation. Maybe you've gone, as, like me, as far as Brazil. I lived in Brazil for nine years. That was part of the boundary of my habitation where God had designed that I would live. Now I come back. That's all predetermined beforehand by God. And this is the reason, that they should seek God. That's the purpose you're here on earth. That's the reason why he gave you life. That's the reason why he set the boundaries of your habitation. And that's the reason why he set a time limit. (laughs) Your times, beginning and ending, that you might seek him. Because he's in the business, like I said it before, of populating heaven. Populating heaven with people that want to be there, not that don't want to be there. And so you're not going to find people here trying to strong arm you into heaven. It's your choice. But we want to be here for you to explain the way. That they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him. That's seeking with a passion. And finding him, and here's the key, I want to emphasize this, though he is not far from each one of us. You see, he was disguised to those two disciples, their maker, their creator, the savior, the Messiah, was not far from them, and they didn't know it. They didn't know it until they put their trust in the word of God. And then he revealed himself. And so I want to encourage you this morning. God's not far from you. He's within your grasp. And he wants to reveal himself to you. But it's only going to be by faith in his word. And comes from believing what he said. And I don't think people realize when they don't believe what God says that they're really calling God a liar. When God says that I deserve to go to hell because of my sins, and I don't think so, what I'm really saying, God's lying. That's how he sees it. That's unbelief. God says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. My brother thinks there are many ways to God. You know what he's saying? You're lying, God says in here Jesus says I'm the way the truth and the life no way to God but through me and my brother doesn't believe him he's saying it's a lie and there's many other things that people unwittingly by disbelief call God a liar God takes offense at that and yet for the person that believes his word that sees his plan he opens their eyes so that they might meet Jesus so the question is what do you want do you want to know your maker Do you want to know your creator? Do you want to have the peace of knowing that your sins are forgiven? And there's nothing hid from his eyes. That's the most important thing in this world. And if you have children, uh, and I've said this before, and a prayer that I've prayed that oftentimes um, has come back to to reappear before me is, is whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Lord, whatever it takes, I know I'm going to heaven, my wife knows she's going to heaven because we trusted Jesus for the salvation of our souls. We know that he died on the cross to pay for our penalty. We're trusting 100% in that. But when we have children, it's up to them to decide for themselves. And, you know, we know from experience that children can grow up in Christian homes, grow up in the midst of us, in our church, and we might not perceive the difference, but they're not really saved. They don't really have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I tend to be a skeptical person, and I do not want my children to end up in hell. So I'll give the benefit to the doubt, but I won't communicate that to them. But my prayer has always been, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to see my kids in heaven, whatever it takes. And the Lord, I think he said, you really mean that? Yes, Lord, whatever it takes. No matter what, no matter what. And the things the Lord's allowed me to go through, you know, uh, finding out your kid's on the street, you know, getting mugged, addicted to drugs, drugs that you've never even tried, and I've tried some, quite a few. I just got the news day before yesterday, I, I see my son in the backyard, ten minutes later I get a call from his cell phone and it's a lady on the cell phone. Is this Mr. Sharkin? Yeah. I don't want you to worry, but he's okay, but your son got in an accident. Nathan? Yeah. What kind of accident? Motorcycle accident. Where? 580 freeway. Is he okay? Yeah, I'll let you talk to him, but I don't want to take his helmet off until the paramedics come. So he gives him the phone. So he gets in an accident about 65, 70 miles an hour, and he goes and rolls and tumbles down the freeway in commute time. So you know there's a lot of cars on the road. So I didn't want to tell Sandra, but I think I sort of had to, but I didn't let her go to the hospital because she's, uh, she, she's worried, worries a bit. She almost fainted when she saw his knee, but um, banged up pretty bad. Broke her wrist, possibly broke the other one in a full cast, uh, in a removable cast. His knee's got a hole in it down to the bone, about the size of a quarter. Rashes all along his back, and uh, in pain, a lot of pain. And, um, and I said, when I saw him, I said, you know, the Lord had his hands around you, protecting me, you could be dead. He goes, Dad, I know that. He says, and I've given thanks to God for that. I know that he saved me. So the Lord is saying, really, whatever it takes? And as painful as it is to see it, yes, Lord, whatever it takes. Because we're talking about eternity. And I want my kids there. And whatever it takes. I learned a new word. And I'll, I'll close with this. It was called a codependent. Codependent. And there was uh, it doesn't what does that mean a codependent codependent is when you have someone like an addict or it could be a disobedient child and you help them to be dependent Um, that's right word I don't know if I'm explaining it right what you do is when there's consequences to those decisions they make like an addict there's consequences like you know uh, not wearing your jacket on a motorcycle wearing shorts on a freeway consequences when you quickly run to alleviate those consequences. And that's a parent's natural, you know, reaction, isn't it? You're a codependent. You're helping them to be a dependent. You're helping them to be an addict. You're helping them to be disobedient. You're helping them to make bad choices. Why? Because you're trying to alleviate the consequences. God doesn't... God uses those consequences to reach people. And so real love, as hard as it may be, is to let them experience the consequences of those decisions... And let God have his way so that they might meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer for my kids. It's a hard stand, but, and it hurts, but I, I know by the word of God that's what's important. Okay. So let's give thanks for the baptism today, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do praise you and bless you that you're in the business of changing lives. Lord, that you're on the road waiting for those that are willing to take a walk with you that you might show yourself to them through the Scriptures and then reveal yourself personally to them. I pray for everyone here, those that don't know you, that they might not leave with a misunderstanding of what it is to know you. And I pray that there might be a a desire, a seed planted in their heart to come to know you, Lord. We do thank you so much for the baptisms for Jen and for Daniel. We do pray that you would uh, reveal yourself in special ways. In their lives, that their lives might be filled with joy, that you might be glorified, and that people around might know, wow, I'd like to have what they have. We do ask it in Jesus' name, amen.